Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 196. It's titled, How to Survive Financially, or How to Survive Retirement. This past Sunday, I was at a church service in Dallas, Texas, and a man slowly walked up to the pulpit without any assistance, no cane, no walker, but he was shuffling very slowly. The gentleman in the pew behind me whispered that this man was in his hundred and first year. The centenarian, whose name is Chester Hollingsworth, said he was currently headquartered, that was his word, headquartered, in a lean-to in his daughter's driveway. That's how he described the guest house where he lives. He said he was on a first-name basis with local Uber drivers to get around, since he no longer drives. He gave up driving several months ago after a 96-year-old friend had a car accident. He spoke of his life, how appreciative he was for friends and family, his love for his wife, Catherine, who passed away in 2011. And here's how he concluded. He said, it's tough getting old, but you can do it. So hang in there. Chester Hollingsworth has survived for 100 years. And thanks to an article and a video last October in the Dallas Morning News, which I'll link to, Aspects of his life, his philosophy will survive for years after he passes away. Nassim Nicholas Taleb, in his new book, Skin in the Game, Hidden Asymmetries in Daily Life, wrote, Survival comes first. Truth, understanding, and science later. In other words, he writes, you do not need science to survive. We've survived for several hundred million years or more depending on how you define the we. But you must survive to do science. As your grandmother would have said, better safe than sorry. Or, as per the expression attributed to Hobbes, first live, then philosophize. That's what Hollingsworth does. He survived a hundred years. Now he can share with us what he learned. Talib goes on. This logical precedence, first live then, or first survive, then philosophize, is well understood by traders and people in the real world. As per the Warren Buffett truism, to make money, you must first survive. Hollingsworth retired for the third time after he turned 100. He did so because he thought that's what a hundred-year-old should do. He was working two days a week at the flooring company that he co-founded in his late 60s and later sold when he was 72. That was the flooring company he started 
after he retired for the first time, when his original partner bought him out of his first flooring company, and he sold that at a traditional retirement age of 65. But he's been working this two-day-a-week schedule since 1993 when he turned 75. It's 25 years following the same routine, helping his former company keep the floor samples organized. He spent a couple years in traditional retirement playing golf. And he said, but my golfing buddies began to die off and my score was going up instead of down. So I gave it up. Then I got bored. I told this story to my 92-year-old neighbor, and he was especially interested in how Hollingsworth made his way up to the pulpit. Did he need assistance? Mobility and independence are something my my 92-year-old neighbor, and I suppose everyone in their 90s, values deeply. But thinking about Chester and my neighbor in the last day or so, after finishing Taleb's book, just came out February 28th, spent a couple of re- couple weeks reading it, thinking about it. I don't like it as much as Anti-Fragile, but it, it, it's a good book. But I've also been thinking about it in light of a Plus episode I recorded this past Saturday, in which we reviewed a member's financial situation and his investment portfolio to see if, if their, his family could survive a 50-year retirement. He's 47 And he writes, I have retired, but my wife is still working full time. At this point, I want to comfortably convince my wife that we are financially secure enough to maintain our 175,000 year spending goal with some flexibility. So they have a $4 million portfolio, gets about $65,000 a year from a pension. So they're pulling out $110,000 a year, theoretically, from this $4 million portfolio. So about a two. 0.75% spending rate. And he wants to know if if they can make it. He says, we hope to live a long life. So we need a portfolio to last 45 to 50 years potentially. But they don't want to assume more risk than necessary to meet their goal. 50 years is a long time to, to survive retirement. Talib writes, for things to survive, they necessarily need to fare well in the risk dimension. That is, be good at not dying. In the case of a retirement portfolio, we're trying to protect against retirement ruin, running out of money. That's the risk dimension. Talib gives the idea of an idea. An idea survives if it is a good risk manager. That is, not only doesn't harm its holders, but favors their survival. So an idea is good if it survives, and it survives if it doesn't harm those that apply the idea. And it's passed on from generation to generation. Sometimes these come down in the form of superstitions or folk wisdom. But they're ideas that lead, as Talib says, to protective actions. I shared one of these ideas in episode 193, Why Plan If Life Is So Unpredictable? It was an idea that has survived 700 years. And it was by Kenko, the Japanese Buddhist monk. And he was talking, he was asking a skilled player at a game called Sugoroku. It's a board game similar to backgammon. 
And the player's advice was don't play to win, play not to lose. Consider what moves will make you lose most quickly and avoid them. So play, don't play to win, play not to lose. And that idea actually precedes what Talib talks about in this book and other concepts we're going to talk in today's episode. Because here's, here's the idea. It survived what Talib calls the, the intelligence of time. Time removes the fragile and keeps the robust. If an, an idea doesn't work, it won't survive. And Talib teaches the life expectancy of the non-fragile lengthens with time. So something that is anti-fragile, its ability to survive increases the longer it's been around. And that's also known as, or it's known as the Lindy effect. So new ideas, he says, have antecedents. Usually, if there's a new idea that comes, that comes about, we can find it somewhere in, in the classics. As I mentioned, it could be a superstition, folk wisdom, or a rule of thumb a heuristic. Avoiding moves that will make us lose most quickly is a rule of thumb. Talib would phrase it as focus on tail risk. Low probability events that could destroy us physically or financially. An example of this the other day, Laprille and I were just yesterday, we're getting our car fixed in Dallas. We dropped it off and then we were walking down this somewhat busy street. I just felt uncomfortable because we weren't facing the traffic. The cars were zooming down the road. And, and I know that the odds of a car leaving the road and plowing us over is really, really small. But if, if it happened, we would be seriously injured if not killed. So I moved over and I walked. We walked in a parking lot where there were so many more cars. And the odds of getting hit were probably higher than walking on the sidewalk. Yet the harm caused by, by being bumped by a car in the parking lot would be much less than being plowed over. So we, we moved to avoid the tail risk of a car leaving and running us down on the sidewalk. Talib writes, contrary to what psychologists and what he calls psycho, psychologists, never, that's a made up word, psychologists will tell you, some overestimation of tail risk is not irrational by any metric, as it is more than required for overall survival. We need to overestimate tail risk. These low probabilities events. What he, could, what he says, there are some risks we just cannot afford to take. He goes on, anyone who has survived in the risk-taking business more than a few years has some version of our by now familiar principle that in order to succeed, you must first survive. Another one of the heuristics that he uses is, is never cross a river if it's on average four feet deep. Because there, I, when I fly fish, if, if it gets more than four feet deep, the river, then there's a risk that you'll drop down and hit a sinkhole. So he doesn't do it. He goes on, I have effectively organized all my life around the point that sequence matters. 
And the presence of ruin disqualifies cost-benefit analysis. If we're looking at something and we're weighing the cost against the potential benefit, but there's a small probability we'll be ruined by by taking that action, then, then we shouldn't, adu- shouldn't do it. This sequence of return risk is something we've talked about in earlier episodes. It's, it's a big deal for new retirees. A high allocation to stocks, because stocks on average have done very well, seems like it makes sense, except if there's a big loss in the early years of retirement. What would the impact be if stocks fell 80% if you're a new retiree and didn't recover for several decades? How would you react to that? And this gets to an important principle, probably the most important principle that Taleb talked about in his book, wrote about. Before we discuss that principle, let me share some words from this week's sponsor. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. In his book, Talib shared a paper by Ole Peters and Murray Gelman, who is titled Evaluating Gambles Using Dynamics. Peters, he's a fellow at the London Mathematical Laboratory in the UK and 
an external professor at, at the Santa Fe Institute. Murray Gelman is a Nobel Prize winning physicist. He contributed to identifying quarks, and he's also affiliated with the Santa Fe Institute. In other words, they're not economists. And they thought it was interesting or curious that a field like economics and finance, which is so central to how we live together as a society, and this is from a a news article by the AIP Publishing, who publishes Chaos. And so this foundational difficulty, is there something that we're missing? Some hidden assumption, possibly hundreds of years old, that there's things we got wrong. And they wrote this paper and they found something. And they're talking about gambles. And gambles are are something in, in decision theory where we're looking at the possible change in wealth. So we're, we're modeling some situation, such as being offered a lottery ticket. And they say there's a conflict between the unpleasant certainty that we have to pay for the ticket and the pleasant possibility that we may win the jackpot. So we have to make the decision and evaluate it. The way this is typically done is each of the possible outcomes are given weight. So a probability that this will happen or that'll happen. And they say the overall quality of a gamble is a weighted average over the various outcomes. But it assumes that different outcomes are happening simultaneously. Here's how they put it. To assess the value of some uncertain venture, an average is taken across those parallel worlds. In other words, Everything, it's, this could happen or that could happen, but it's divorced from time. And they're, they're called one-shot problems, meaning that they, they're not part of any dynamic. It's assumed they reside outside of time because an example would be Monte Carlo simulation, which is what I did for this family that, that wants to know if they have enough to survive 50 years. Well, to know that, we need to know what, what are potential return outcomes. And so based on an expected return, expected volatility, ran 10,000 scenarios and you applied a spending rate and to see, well, what probability did they have of running out of money? And at their current estimated spending, over 40 years, there's about 25% chance of ruin. But all that assumes it's these parallel options. So option one through 10,000, they all happen in this parallel world. What they did was considered what happens if it's just one world, just us, just that family, across time. Because they say doing it, this this sort of these parallel worlds, it's ill-conceived because, and here's the quote, any gamble affects what we may be able to do after the gamble. If we lose our house, we cannot bet the house again. And, and the paper gets highly technical. And I have to admit, it, the math was tough. I didn't quite understand all of it. But I, I, I grasped that principle. That it doesn't matter what the average return for stocks are. What matters is the worst case, this tail risk. 
And it matters what our reaction is. What do we face? How do we react when stocks fall? I know retirees that after the 2008 have never returned to the stock market. They've, they've sat out. I know a gentleman who has no retirement, just Social Security and whatever his family can help out with because in the 70s, he had started investing in stocks and the stocks fell and he just didn't like that feeling. So I'm just not going to mess with it. So he didn't save enough for retirement, didn't earn sufficient return above inflation. And so it's our reaction through time that makes a big difference in terms of the outcome. Here's how Talib puts it. When you read material by finance professors, finance gurus, or your local bank making investment recommendations based on the long-term returns of the market, beware, even if their forecasts were true. No individual can get the same returns as the market unless he has infinite pockets and no uncle points. If the investor has to eventually reduce his exposure because of losses or because of retirement or because he got divorced to marry his neighbor's wife or because he suddenly developed a heroin addiction after his hospitalization for appendicitis or because he changed his mind about life, his returns will be divorced from those of the market, period. That's a big challenge when it comes to financial retirement planning. We don't know what the returns will be and we don't know what our reaction will be to those returns, what our personal circumstances will be at the time. That episode 193, I shared a quote by Richard Bookstaber in his book, The End of Theory. He says, the only way to know what the results of these interactions will be, both us and the market together, is to trace out the path over time. We essentially must live out our lives to see where they will go. There is no formula that allows us to fast forward to find out what the result will be. The world cannot be solved. It has to be lived. So what do we do? What Talib says, our wiring must be adapted to say no to tail risk. He gives the example of Warren Buffett. He writes, Buffett, he did not make his billions by cost-benefit analysis. Rather, he did so simply by establishing a high filter, then picking opportunities that pass such a threshold. The difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. That's Buffett's quote. Talib continues, for there are a zillion ways to make money without taking tail risk. A zillion? I haven't found it to be quite that easy. Stocks, as we've talked about, have tail risk. But they also are really good in terms of generating a real return above and beyond inflation, unless we get to really very, very high inflation. But we can mitigate the tail risk of stocks by holding other asset classes. We can mitigate the tail risk of being invested in public markets by holding private investments. 
We can own gold coins. We can have land. We can mitigate the tail risk of public and private markets by having income in retirement that's not tied to investments, a lifestyle business. We can own a single premium immediate annuity that generates income for life. We have Social Security. That's another layer, layer upon layer to protect against these tail risks. Life insurance, long-term care insurance. We can adjust our spending and make sure we're going into retirement with a reasonable spending rate. There's an article that I'll link to. I think I've mentioned it before. I certainly have a Money for the Rest of Us Plus. It's by Wade Faw, and it's, it's titled, Does the 4% Rule Work Around the World? And the 4% rule, as we look at, you spend 4% in your first year in retirement, and then you adjust it by the rate of inflation. It was a rule developed by Bill Bengen, and he did an analysis called SafeMax, and he wanted to look historically, assuming 50% in stocks, 50% in treasury bills, what was the maximum that you could spend using that 4% rule or any rule to where you wouldn't run out of money in under any circumstances based on history? In other words, completely got rid of the tail risk, the risk of retirement ruin. And they did the analysis and it was 4%. Well, FA updated the analysis through 2015. And so in this case, he assumed the last year somebody retired was in 1986, and he ran it for 30 years so through 2015, and found that the, the 4% rule still very much held for the U.S. But if somebody held a global portfolio, so U.S. and non-U.S. stocks, the rule, the safe max rule, was 3.5%. Because if you spent 4%, there was about a 15% chance of retirement ruin, failure, running out of money using the 4% rule. And he did it for other countries. If you didn't invest in the U.S. at all, and it was all non-U.S., then you needed to spend 3% to guarantee not running out of money based on history. That's all back we're looking in time, though. Given the higher valuations for U.S. stocks, that's not to say just be in a U.S. portfolio. We still need to be globally diversified with many different types of asset classes to avoid the tail risk. We need to make sure that our, our, our spending rate is reasonable and not certainly not 5%, probably not 4% given the low yields on bonds and the above average valuations on stocks, which gets back to the point of going into retirement, hopefully generating some type of income apart from your investment portfolio. Now, we can avoid tail risk, but Talib also teaches avoid low harm events that are repeated, repeated exposure over time. This gets back to the, this paper that old Peter's and Gelman wrote, where they talked about, don't, don't use parallel worlds. It's, it's the pathway through time. 
The example Tyler gives, smoking a single cigarette is extremely benign. So a cost-benefit analysis would deem it irrational to give up so much pleasure for so little risk. But it is the act of smoking that kills at a certain number of packs per year or tens of thousands of cigarettes. In other words, repeated serial exposure. In, in this same thing, if we take these one-off risks that seem low, but we take numerous one-off risks, climbing a mountain, he gives, riding a motorcycle, hanging around the mafia, flying your own small plane, smoking cigarettes, playing parkour on Thursday night, your life expectancy is considerably reduced, although no single action will have a meaningful impact. So we need to be aware of tail risk, and we need to be aware of a benign risk that are additive, that over time, one situation might seem not terribly risky, but over time it is. And, and probably the most recent example we have is shorting volatility. Buying an ETF that benefited you generated income because as long as volatility stayed low. And in any one day, yeah, probably not going to change. But if we look at the ProShare short VIX short terms of future ETF, it's lost 90% year to date because that was a small risk in any given day. But ultimately, the, the odds of losing big on that trade was huge. I don't know what Chester Hollingsworth did to survive to be 100. The article at Dallas Morning News says he drank a diet Dr. Pepper every single day. Turns out Dr. Pepper was invented in Waco, Texas, where we were the other day. So maybe that was it. But he's lived a really long time. We might do the same. And, and that is something we sort of have to prepare for, which why in retirement... We have to be flexible and don't go into retirement with overly aggressive assumptions in terms of spending or return or in terms of the amount of risk that we're taking in terms of stock exposure. Maintain that flexibility, hopefully generate some lifestyle income in retirement. That's what I meant. That's what I recommended or discussed because I don't give recommendations. I don't give advice. I'm not a registered investment advisor. But in that plus episode, with his family was considering a 50-year retirement, that's not a risk I'd be comfortable taking, completely dependent on my portfolio. Now, you have, you have some runway there to create some additional income or to reduce the spending amount so you're not spending the 175000 a year. And he mentioned there's some flexibility. But we don't know. We just don't know. We don't know what our reaction will be. We don't know, know what the returns will be. But the only way we can do it is to live our life and take it day by day. And that, my neighbor is 92, says that's what he's doing. He, says that he doesn't aspire to live to be 100. It'd be nice if he did. He's just taking it day by day. So that's episode 196. Show notes are at moneyfortherestofus.com. Please sign up for my free insider's guide. While you're there, I'll email those links to you every single week, along with a summary article. Not even a summary article, an essay on 
some aspect of the topic maybe I didn't get to. Sometimes it's a different topic altogether in that essay, and that comes out each Wednesday when I release the podcast. So that's at moneyfortherestofus.com. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I'm not provided investment advice. Just general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.